You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We'll now open our Bibles and we'll read together Genesis chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 12. First we'll read together Genesis chapter 3 which is the context of the text this afternoon, which is Genesis 3, verse 14 to 24. So let us read then Genesis 3. You see, if you look back, and you probably all recognize this already, but Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are describing the perfection of creation, the creation of the whole universe, which is, of course, the work of God. And His, as He speaks, the world was formed and all that live in it. And also we read in Genesis 2 of the riches of this earth and how the man and the woman were brought together. And then we begin in Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called To the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Let's also turn to Revelation 12. You see here again another angle of this fight between the serpent and the creation, man. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. 
and her child was snatched up to God and to His throne. The woman fled into the desert to, to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, or who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. The text of the message this afternoon is Genesis 3, verses 14 to 24, the last part of this chapter. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand, and take also from the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. 
So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this afternoon I preach to the Gospel of Jesus Christ under the theme, God saves His church from being swallowed up by death. And we'll see in the first place the enemy, and then we'll see the enmity, and finally the end. And if you look at your text together with me, Genesis 3, verse 14, you see that the Lord's first words of sentence against this serpent indicate that the serpent is and will remain an enemy of God. It says, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. And so that gift that had been given to the serpent that we read in Genesis 3, verse 1, that he was more crafty or more ingenious than the other animals, is reversed. So that now that serpent is the most cursed of all the animals. The Lord assigns for him a position of of crawling on his belly and eating dust all the days of his life. It's very clear from this beginning verse that the enemy, in the first place, is this serpent. And so the serpent is cursed and he is at a disadvantage. He will always be underfoot and, and crawling on his belly. The serpent, you will notice, is treated together with the devil in one breath. For he was in league with that devil. The serpent and the devil were working together in an unholy task. And with this understanding, we realize that although the Lord is speaking to a serpent, a snake, when he describes his manner of dealing with all who fall into sin, he is speaking then to all who, like that serpent, have joined themselves to the devil, those who are an enemy of God. And we read there in this curse against the serpent, the Lord was very clear about the outcome of the devil's rebellion. We read the offspring of the woman would strike the head of the serpent and the serpent would, the offspring, the serpent would strike the heel of the woman's offspring. See that in verse 15. Especially the second part of verse 15. And you should note that although you have here, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's the same word in the Hebrew that is used both times. Both sides will be injured as a result of the fall. And the only difference is that the serpent's injuries will be fatal. And looking at this part 15, verse 15b, you should note also that the Lord does not say that Adam and Eve will crush the serpent's head. But it is the offspring of Eve who will crush the serpent's head. But notice at the same time that it is not the serpent's offspring who will be crushed, but that very same Serpent, the offspring of Eve, will crush that same serpent 
Who is present there in the garden? The, the devil himself. And we see then the relation between the serpent and his offspring. The serpent is devouring his offspring in such a way that they all become a part of him while he remains that main opponent to be defeated. Those who follow that serpent are boxed in. They are limited by his evil. They are limited by his end. Altogether, they will be crushed. There is no individuality among the wicked. The Lord says to Satan, your head will be crushed because of the offspring of the woman. And this statement gives us understanding of that picture we were given in Revelation 12, where the dragon eagerly waits to to get to his enemy before the offspring of the woman gets to him. And we know his final, or he knows his final outcome, but he does not repent. We saw that in Revelation 12, that sense of fear of the future. Reflecting on these words and how all those who are, are opposed to God are included in that curse against that one serpent. We are given perspective on that whole way of evil. We are given a clear picture of the futility of the way of evil. The, the hopelessness of life outside of God. That curse of God in Genesis 3, it takes away all the joy from the work of, of, of the devil. He knows that his end is near. It brings horror to his very existence. We confess this also in a very clear way in the Belgic Confession, Article 12. And the message of our text, and as we read through the Bible, is very clear. There is no joy in life that is in rebellion against God. Those who go against the God who made heaven and earth can receive no satisfaction, that, that lasting satisfaction, that, that peace. You cannot receive peace from wrecking and destroying God's good creation. And so we read about the life of the wicked. Their hunger is insatiable. It is urgent. They know their time is is limited. Their vandalism of life, their vandalism of creation is, is done actually with this agony, this fear of that sentence of eternal condemnation. Revelation 12 also reveals that, that anger, that, that, that dragon so enraged, and that fear that is experienced by those who oppose God, they know their time is short. That is life outside of God and His promises. And we think carefully about that futility of life outside of the message of life in Jesus Christ. And we should think carefully about it as we are teaching our children, as we, we live in the world and we look at all that is happening. And we need to explain these things to our children and to our, to one another as friends. We think again of the futility of life 
for those who oppose their God. It explains so much of the behavior we see. It explains also our newspapers. And so as young people as well, as we are living our life, we can, we can think about the eternal consequences of living a life that goes against God. All that we might think is so cool, so with the times, and yet is so opposed to God. Those short-term pleasures. Living a life that actually goes against God. That music that, that shouts in rebellion against God that says in a very clear way where a person stands in relation to God. Or those relationships between boys and girls, between men and women that are outside of that holy marriage. Speaking of pleasure, what the world says, this is what you will like, this is what you will need. And if we are not thinking in terms of Genesis, if we are following blindly along listening to what others are saying, we might miss out on the fact of the matter is that that's all futile. It's nothing. It's, it's endless. It brings horror and agony and fear. It's an empty promise. It damages life. It is the world of destruction. Destruction of ourselves and the destruction of others. Satan is very pleased to see that destruction. And the Lord then makes it clear to us at this point too, there, there are two sides. You either belong to that evil one You belong to the evil one as you stand up against God and what happens are you're actually food for the serpent. You're the prey of the serpent. You're serving a master, the devil who hates you, who will devour you. Or you belong to God. You're a dearly loved child. That contrast is very clear in our message. Serving a master who hates you, who wants to consume you, or or serving a father who loves you as his, as his child. And when we look at the text, we notice that also the ground and the physical creation of God is cursed as a result of that fall into sin. The curse upon the land as a result of sin entering into the world. The Lord says it will cause hardship for the people. It also includes hardship for us, the church of God. Look at what the Lord says to the woman. In verse 16, look what he says there. He says, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. And every woman who has given birth to a child will know that that child enters this world through a lot of pain, through labor pains, excruciating pain. And believing women, they they share that experience with unbelieving women. All women experience that. And as a baby is being born, we can remember that that pain is a result of that fall into sin and these very words of our God to Adam so many years before. We are reminded that that mandate, that command to be fruitful and to to multiply, it is something that we can carry out only with that pain of childbearing. And not only that, but we read also our marriages are affected by this fall into sin. We are seeing what the Lord is saying in our lives up to this day. We read that the desire of the woman will be for her husband and he will rule over her. 
Even our hearts, then as women, even our hearts become our enemies as a result as a result of that fall. The word used in our text here for desire is only found two other times in Holy Scripture. It's found in Song of Songs and in Genesis chapter 4. And Genesis 4 verse 7, you can see it. And when we consider the, the context of Genesis 4 verse 7, we see that that word desire is speaking of one person seeking dominance. And the point is that sin in the world would make a woman desire dominance in her relationship with her husband. Sin in our hearts makes us go against the created order, leading to competition right in marriage, one against the other. Discontentment with the position that God has given to us, a weakening of the husband's God-given role in marriage and this frustration, this, this competition. And again, that the way sin affects marriage is experienced by both believing and non-believing women. We see. We see these desires. We see these the suffering in our own marriages. We know the damage that they cause. The words of our Lord in Genesis 3 are seen. We see them in our lives. The Lord also explains how sin will affect the role the task of the man to have dominion over creation and to rule over it. After the fall into sin, the ground was cursed by God. Genesis 3, verse 17 now. And the result was that through painful toil, man will eat of the land all the days of his life. No longer will his work go smoothly, but every day that the thorns and thistles that result from the fall into sin will make man eat only by the sweat of his brow. Mankind will have great difficulty as they became, become enslaved by the need to work in order to have food. And so that work of man, both unbelieving and believing, is met with frustrations. There are burdens. There is stress in our task, in our work. There is setbacks. And often it is the case that people find that work is not always such a joyful thing. Sometimes it's even considered to be burdensome. An obligation that I only do because it's necessary. And so that whole tenor of work that was done so willingly before the fall into sin is is affected by the the curse. And then we continue reading. We say, well, what is all this for? This pain and childbearing, this, this work, this, this stress and the burden of work. Along all this suffering, the cry goes up from the mouths of so many people. We see this too meaningless, meaningless. For the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And the Lord says, dust you are, and to dust you will return. You live, you perhaps you marry. Many have children. All of us work, and we work, and then we die, and then we return to dust. We feel the weight of that curse. We see how the earth is cursed. 
the Lord said that the wages of sin are death. Also that this last enemy, Paul writes, speaking of death, this last enemy would be faced by all people, both believing and unbelieving. And many live in fear of their death. All are terribly saddened by death. It is indeed a picture of the last enemy on this earth. And so as God's people, we read these words in Genesis. We hear the Lord speaking to us. And we see the devil and we see the world and we see our own flesh attacking the church of Jesus Christ. Revelation 12 warned in in no uncertain terms that that dragon who he called that ancient serpent enraged will go after the offspring of the woman and then it defines them all who obey His commandments and hold on to the testimony of Jesus. Revelation 12, verse 17. Indeed, not only is that suffering described in Genesis 3 real, but also what we read in Genesis 15, the first part about the enmity. In verse 15, we read that God says, I will put enmity between you, talking to the serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and hers. That word enmity means a deep-rooted division, an opposition, a separation. Sometimes the Enmity is called the antithesis. And the meaning of this word is that people live with opposite or even opposing themes in life so that they are set up one against the other. And the two groups in our text that have opposing themes in their lives are the serpent and his offspring and the offspring of the woman. Now, did you ever wonder where the offspring of the serpent came from? When the Bible speaks here of the offspring of Eve, we can understand this. It's natural for mothers to have children. But what does it mean that the serpent would have offspring? The serpent would have children. We never read of of the devil giving birth to children or even creating people to be His children. He cannot create. And yet we read in in 1 John 3 that Cain belonged to the evil one. Belonged to the evil one. How can this be? Eve, as the mother of all living, Genesis 3, verse 20, could then claim every human to be her offspring. In 1 John 3, verse 7-10, to it enters this discussion. You can look there too. 1 John 3, verse 7-10, to it enters this discussion when it acknowledges that you cannot tell the children of the devil apart from the children of Eve. You cannot tell them apart by their physical appearance, by what they look like. In the physical sense, all people are children of Eve. However, John explains the depth of this when he makes clear that all who are not children of God are children of the devil. We must recognize then that after the fall and before the promise of Genesis 3, verse 15, and that that little 
part of Scripture there, Genesis 3, verse 7 to 15, not only the serpent, but also Adam and Eve were children of the devil. They were not children of God. They, 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 they moved across to make an alliance with the devil. When they ate of that fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they, they broke their relationship with God. They made an alliance, a covenant with the devil and enslaved to his rebellion. They grew to hate God. They grew to hate one another. You could study that too, that change in their view of God, that change in their view of each other. As our representatives, Adam and Eve, obeyed the devil's lure. They became enslaved to his guile. They became blinded. And they made all mankind children of wrath. Children of the devil. Falling short of the glory of God. And God, we see at this moment... Before he said, where are you to Adam and Eve? At this moment, God would not have done anyone an injustice if he left us in our slavery and rebellion to the devil whose mouth was open to swallow us up. After creating all those things, a little man shakes his fist up at God in defiance and joins the enemy of God. God had every right to completely destroy the serpent and all his food, all those people who joined themselves to him. And yet we keep reading the Gospel message. That glorious Gospel message. We already sang it in Psalm 118 that, that God did not permit that all mankind should be swallowed up by the devil. Men would turn to dust. That's true, it happens. And the devil could eat this dust. He could eat that dust. He could consume the dead creation that he killed by his temptations. But those who were raised up to life in God would be saved from that serpent's ravenous appetite. How did God do this? How did God allow for there to be life after this terrible fall. And here we see that importance of that word enmity. Compare the the different outcome for the serpent and the man and his wife. The Lord did not break the serpent's alliance with the devil and He cursed them both as one. The serpent received what Adam and Eve and every person deserved. But God did not give Adam and Eve or any one of us here this afternoon what we deserve. In putting enmity between the serpent and the woman, God is breaking Adam and Eve's alliance with with Satan. Adam and Eve would not have to be slaves to one who hates them. Rather, they would begin to hate the evil one. They would begin to hate evil. They would be able to understand dimly, as in a mirror, the grace 
of God. The blessing of trusting in Him. That glorious gospel that we hold on to. And how did the enmity change things for us? Brothers and sisters, in anticipation of that offspring of the woman, God brought some people unto His side. You can see that. Here was the serpent and Adam and Eve, and here was God, and the serpent was in rebellion against God with Adam and Eve right in tow, and God created a separation, and He grabbed Adam and Eve right out of the mouth of the serpent, and He brought them on to His side. And God said, there will be more who may be on My side. That enmity will continue on so that always some of His creation will be on God's side. Or we could say God would be on their side. And God would protect them. Like a hen who gathers her chicks under her wings. It also reminds us of that psalm we sang, Psalm 3. It talks about that fight, that contrast, that, that ongoing conflict. But at the end, you remember stanza four, singing about that God rescuing us from death, bringing us to Himself. Psalm 59 is a similar psalm. We'll sing that after. And the first ones who are taken out of Satan's grip and claimed by God for Himself are Adam and Eve. And at this time, God promised that among their offspring, he would claim for Himself one who would crush the serpent's head. The meaning of this is that salvation would come from among the offspring of Eve. Although she would have pain and childbearing as, as every mother would, one of her descendants would bear a son who would be the Messiah. You understand then how these Old Testament women, the women of the Old Testament, had this longing to have a child who might be the one who would crush the evil one. We understand then that Song of Mary. There's a deeper meaning to Adam renaming his wife as the mother of all living. For through her, through that line of promise that God extended from her womb, Eve would also be the mother of the promise. The mother of all who would find eternal life in Christ alone. The Gospel promise of the coming of the Son of God. That promise that of Christmas joy and celebration is found right there in Genesis 3, verse 15. And so we see the grace of God in that enmity that He established. We see the grace of God in preserving His line of promise by His grace as He takes believers. He takes His church, believers and their children, on His side where they will be hated by their enemies. By the world, flesh, devil. And they also will in turn have opposition. And so Revelation 12, we read that together, gives us this picture of an enormous red dragon with, with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his seven heads. Verse 3. And this dragon who is later referred to as that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, he's standing in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour the child the moment it was, was born. 
And you see, that woman about to give birth is the Old Testament church. The generations of believers and their children. The mothers who had the important task of bearing children from Eve to Mary, producing descendants out of which when the time had fully come, we read in Galatians 4, God sent His only Son born of a woman, born under the law. And although that enmity shows itself again and again through the Old Testament, the dragon could not destroy the woman. For God had taken that woman onto His side. God is the all-powerful, the sovereign ruler. And although He tried many times, Satan could not swallow up the promised line of God for enmity had been established. And so in our text, we see that in making a distinction and in setting this antithesis between the offspring of the women and, and the serpent, God opens the door for giving His care to a part of creation. Life outside of the, fa- or the fa- favor of God is mere survival. Look at the difference. When Adam and Eve were outside of the favor of God, they noticed their nakedness and they managed to survive. They made for themselves some clothes out of fig leaves. But look at God's work after the fall. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and He clothed them. Here, given the picture of of leather clothes, perhaps, or or fur coats. The, The word used for the type of clothes that God made reminds us of the tunic that God ordered the priests must wear. Those who serve in His presence were given the finest of clothes. And God points us forward to that day when when He will provide all His people with new robes and the victory of Jesus Christ against the evil one. Many lines from this point will be shown in Scripture. They build on this theme of God covering over the sin and the dirtiness of His people by clothing them. By giving them the the riches of His grace. It brought Him to that point when Mary gave birth to the offspring, Jesus Christ. And then when He was on earth, we read about that, the Lord Jesus was walking on earth. What happened? We read of an increase in demon possession. We see direct confrontation between the, the demons and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read time and again about the Lord Jesus' complete authority over the demons, over the devil, over Satan, over death. And we read of His faithfulness as He defeated that that gaping mouth of death. And we read that dragon made war. He continued the enmity against God by by fighting the offspring and his woman, the offspring of the woman. But brothers and sisters, this verse is, is speaking also then about us who are living in the last days. We'll see that too, the end. Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. In chapter 5 of Peter, 1 Peter, Peter is warning us that the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion. 
looking for someone to devour, and, and he urges us to resist him, standing firm in the faith. That's that faith in Jesus Christ. And there is no doubt that when we think about the end of all things, that we are eager to be nestled safely in the arms, the loving arms of our Savior, safely away from, from all the attacks of the evil one and the temptations of this world. Where can we find this assurance? Where can we find eternal life in the comfort of God? Remember that curse. Remember that we still see the effects of that curse. In paradise, Adam and Eve had that access to the tree of life for a while. But now, after the fall into sin, we read in Genesis 3, verses 23 and 24, that God had devised a different end for those whom He had saved from being swallowed up by death. We read, the Lord banished Adam and Eve from the garden of Eden. We read that He placed cherubim, type of angels, two, probably two or more, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth, or perhaps whirling, that's turning every way between the two of them to guard the way to the tree of life. Why did God do this? Why did God cut off that access to the tree of life? Well, we read it in the text. Verse 22, the Lord tells us, He says, He must not be allowed to reach out His hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. You see, life was not to be found in that tree of life, in the Garden of Eden anymore. Because man had to be radically changed. He had to be set free from the effects of sin. He had to be set free from the effects of fall in this life. The source of life could no longer be found in creation, for creation had fallen. It had to be found in that offspring in God's Son, in Jesus Christ. Now the tree of life is not in Eden, but the tree of life is at Golgotha and that cross of Jesus Christ through His blood. And we know Jesus Christ. We believe in Jesus Christ. We, we stand underneath that cross. But let us also consider carefully then how we will keep ourselves in that life-saving enmity that God established. You see, there are a lot of fantasy books that are popular now. They picture cosmic battles between the forces of evil and, and the forces of good, but Genesis 3, verse 15 is no fantasy. The danger of these books, which are often based on on Scripture in the sense that they use phrases from Scripture and perhaps even ideas from Scripture. But the danger of these books is that our eyes are closed to see the battle that is happening right before our eyes. Right now and today. The words of James 4, verse 4 ring in our minds when we read Genesis 3 when he says, friendship with the world is enmity toward God. world here 
doesn't mean everything. Sorry, the world here doesn't mean everything, everything in the world. When, when James says friendship with the world, he doesn't mean everything in the world is completely opposed to God, but he means that the world's sinful teaching, the world's lures, the world's so-called pleasures that we already looked at, it's, it's vain philosophies of life, that idea that if you want to be happy, you need to work hard and you need to get rich so you can buy whatever you want. The world, the, the, the world that teaches that it doesn't matter Really, you believe one thing, I believe another. The world that teaches that, that really there is good in humankind that we have to, we have to foster. That is the world that James is talking about. And he says we are not friends with the world because we are friends with God. We are friends with the one who saved us from being swallowed up by the crafty lies of the serpent. And He has shown us life in Jesus Christ. We are friends with the One who will preserve us to the end. And we will remain in that life-saving enmity because we love Jesus Christ. Because we love our salvation. Because we are convinced that it is the truth. Now some Christians say, well, if you're a Christian, I should be able to see it. You need to do things differently than the world you should be aggressively antithetical. You should always try to do the opposite of what's in the world. You should get yourself away. And this usually is only shown in externals. We are all offspring of Eve. Male or female. Child bearing or laboring. And then we die. So this attempt to to always do different than the world is difficult because we are all humans. And this approach to that enmity also is not right. We do not create the enmity. We do not determine our activity by the slogan of maintain the antithesis. The Bible says that as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The Bible says love your enemies and fight against sin first in your own life and then in our world. The world, the Bible does not justify a snooty attitude. The Bible does not allow for arrogance in the church. The Bible says don't be haughty, but be very, very humble. Now it's true that Paul warns us not to reject God. And Paul says... Don't be yoked together with unbelievers in our marriage relationships with them or in our slavery to their ideas. What does light have to do with darkness? But we do not determine our activity by unkindness or condemnation of other people, but rather we determine our lives by the Word of God. We determine what we will say and how we will react to what we see by what God says in His Word. And know very well that if you keep His commandments, if you show others what God wants His people to do in this situation, if you hold on to that testimony of Jesus Christ, if you live with joy in His work, you will see the enmity long before you create it. 
You see, just as that pain of childbearing, it shows itself today. We, we know about that. And that toil of work, we see that today. So also that enmity that God promised, that God gave to us out of His grace that we read about in our text, it will show itself in our life. Peter says, don't be surprised if you are suffering. And you may not see this enmity if you are looking for dragons and serpents, although we know that demons exist in this life. Or if you are looking for holy wars and and this physical persecution in our lives, although again, let us never forget the many believers in the church who are seeing this persecution with their eyes. But when you try, and you try to show that you are a child of Jesus Christ as you seek to live according to the commands of God and you hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ in all things, you will see that it is very difficult. Try raise your children in a Christian school. Try protect life of children unborn. Try have a marriage that is according to God's command. Try show others this beautiful gift. Try doing God's will every day. You will hear the mockery. You will feel the temptation. You will see the anger as also Cain react at the righteous sacrifice of Abel. It's true, flaming demons and and devils on our shoulder are rarely seen, but subtle craftiness and, and scientific scalpels killing little children and soft words that are in our papers like humane and tolerance. There is an attack. We suffer. Let us not forget the end. When James said resist, that's a life calling. Paul says persevere, that's a life calling. We have the truth, brothers and sisters, and we will hold on to it as God's people. For Genesis 3 verse 15, this passage teaches us that the offspring of the woman will be, the offspring of the woman, Jesus Christ, will set us free from our enemies in this life. In Jesus Christ, we have been saved by being swallowed up by death. We can enjoy His victory already in this life. In Christ, that pain of childbearing, which remains physically, is lightened by that rich and beautiful covenant promise that every child of a believer receives. No longer are children born to death and born to futility, but... In Jesus Christ, our children are born to death. They are born to be kings, to rule forever with God. In Christ, that discord, that that tension in our marriages can begin to be overcome. Christ exemplified that idea so foreign in the world. Self-sacrificial love of a groom for his bride. The submission of the bride to his groom. 
No longer are we destined to find satisfaction in people, husbands or wives or any other person. No longer are we destined to find satisfaction in our control over other people, but we find our satisfaction and our joy and our peace in Jesus Christ, our King. And there is a beginning then of a reversal of the effects of the fall into sin in the church of Jesus Christ. Also when we do in our work, for in Christ we are not working for ourselves. We are working for the glory of God, for that, that full kingdom of heaven. We work with sweat. We work hard. We, we bear burdens. We have stress. But we work with the purpose of knowing that, that everything belongs to Jesus Christ, our head. And finally, we know that though we still must die, if Christ does not return before our death, we may be certain that we will never be separated from God. That we are already on His side. That upon our death, our dusty remains will not be swallowed up by death and misery forever. Eve is our mother. We are that living in Jesus Christ. We are not the dust that the serpent eats. But we are the living that belong to Jesus Christ. And so when we walk, we, we enter, we come to our deaths, we have that promise. It changes all things. The enemy is real. The enemy is powerful. The enemy is seeking to devour and to debilitate the church of Jesus Christ. But in His grace, the Lord has grabbed you. He has pulled you out of that gaping mouth of death. And He has redeemed you through the offspring of the woman, Jesus Christ. And it is this Jesus that we proclaim. Because in this Jesus, we are the beloved, the beloved children of the Creator rather than the dragon's food. You are already alive in Christ. Already in this life. So that already now, you see the reversal of the effects of fall in your life, in your childbearing, in your marriages, in your work, and even in your death. And so we together... We rejoice. We praise the Lord. Because we know the end. We know that the final victory is ours. And in Christ, that taunt goes up. Where, O death, is now your sting? Jesus Christ, the Lord, is King. And we sing, we may sing to the Lord as we will sing in Psalm 59, stands before my strength. I will sing praise to Thee, my fortress. To Thy strength I flee. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.